am cool. So what? It's better than 11%. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, once again, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Who? Pete, Pete, you know, spoiler Pete, are you there? No, man. Well, who are you? Who is this? Star-Lord, man. Legendary podcaster. Never heard of you. Sorry. Oh, well... Matt, that's because today we are reviewing the highly anticipated um, Guardians of the Galaxy film that has hit theaters today, but we saw a little earlier. Today's review, it, it uh, bears mentioning though, is brought to us by the makers of the Sony Walkman. The item that you bought in 1988 and recorded tapes lovingly that you knew would be good forever and stand the test of time and now gather dust in your garage. <laughs> Very nice indeed. Yes, I'm sure taped music, it will be with us forever. With that, Pete, should we jump into the debrief? Absolutely. Debrief. All right. Our debrief segment where we catch you up on what went down and we're going to go straight to brass tacks and then recap the film. Um, the thing I'm going to say here is uh, initially is that this was a massive risk of a film from anyone else except Marvel. And even then it took three uh, well, not three movies. It, it was two movies, the two Thor movies and the credit sequence of uh, the second Thor film to set up this movie. Um, and they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it was absolutely, uh, it, it was it was great seeing it, uh, seeing it before the August 1st drop date. And um, certainly a big adventure. I, Pete, I would give it an A minus. Why an A minus, Matt? Well, I mean, we could get into it now, or we could get into it later. I think that, Within the scope of me having called it an A minus, I think that there are some slight pacing issues to the movie. I think that they they I, as wonderful as the cast is, and, and I mean you know the very very deep cast. I think that maybe there was one person too many, and I, I'm not singling out any one of them. I just think it was so many faces and so much story to get this rolling that it was just kind of portions were. If you think back to the. J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Trek, it had a similar job to introduce a universe, the, the, the politics, the goings-on, and seven people. And I just kind of felt like it, th this wasn't handled quite as expertly as that, but still, nonetheless, an A-minus job, um, which is better than most, certainly. Um, they stuck the landing. They did it well. It just To me, it just wasn't quite the grand slam home run. It was just a, maybe a two-run home run. Well, James Gunn is the director here, shows he's got a total mastery of the material. The other thing I need to get at um, at the top here is those of you who have seen it, those of you who have not seen it yet, maybe those of you who haven't seen it yet, stop this, go see it, come back, because we're going to roll a uh, spoiler full here. But you have never cared more or this much about um, Marvel characters in this cinematic universe through the first 10 movies. 
<laughs> let alone that th- through the first 10 minutes of this movie it's shocking how they how they hook you in shocking in a good way absolutely and you talk about those first 10 minutes we receive our first ever pre marvel studios logo sequence a heartstring pulling hospital scene with uh young peter quill in 1988 um being summoned from the escape of his walkman and his music which is a motif throughout the film and um he gets to go to his mother's bedside and he doesn't grab the hand. He wigs out. She dies. He gets the gift and he runs out and he's abducted by aliens. That's uh, I was going to make a joke like that's a bad day. I mean, it really is. It's such an incredibly moving scene. And I think that it was so in line with the way this movie has been presented from day one with the whole, you know, you're welcome. It's the whole anti-heroes. This is not the textbook way to start a comic book movie. You're supposed to start with Marlon Brando in shiny reflective robes saying, you know, we send you to Earth, my son. And you're like, wow, it's so fantastic and different and alien. And this is just the worst thing that can happen to a kid is how you start this adventure off. And if you can kind of get over the lump in your throat as you're watching it, you're like, wow, this works. And this works incredibly in terms of grounding the film. You bring up a good point. It's usually done in reverse. It usually begins when you're going to go the sci-fi style, um, you know, superhero origin. Um, It begins from afar and then comes to Earth. And then it, it goes in this way, I think, was unique. And, you know, from shot one, so gorgeously, uh, you know, depicted on the screen, the, the colors, the palette in this film really pops, not only in flashback in 1988 on Earth, but then once we reach all of our other locations. I mean, we we hit uh, the, the first planet we see is uh, Morag, a, a geyser uh, riddled uh, planet that I just thought was was pretty creative in terms of its uh, its setup. Uh, Xandar is our uh, you know surrogate Earth uh, somewhere on the other side of the galaxy. We have the uh, <laughs> which also th- looks a lot like London. Yeah, <laughs> it's like space London. Space London. <laughs> um, then we have our uh, Nova Corps, our space cop prison, the kiln. Okay. And then we have uh, the uh, very unusual uh, outpost known as Nowhere, um, set inside the head of uh, of a giant uh, dead space uh, titan. Um, you know, so all these exotic locales, but you know, Earth even manages to look exotic early on. And again, full credit to you know, the cinematographer and, you know, James Gunn behind the lens there. Indeed. It's, it really is remarkable. And I know I'm kind of repeating something you had said earlier, but it's remarkable that this is a movie that introduces a completely different, I won't say universe, because obviously it's the same, you know, universe, the MCU, but a completely different, 
you know, a slice of life. Look at look at the galaxy, if you will, compared to the other Marvel movies, which have had this slow rollout and this slow expansion of the universe. And this movie is just showing up, and, and the energy that its um, that its characters are purporting to have in terms of being brash and elbowing their way in. This too is the way the movie is approaching itself, its birth, its its presentation to just say you know what, keep up. We have like, you know, space London and we have like the prison and we have, this is just the way it is. And there's green people and blue people and, you know, half robot people just go with it. You're always clear who the bad guys are, who the good guys are and who the, you know, in between guys are just revel in it. And we're not going to lead your hand along and say there, there were these myths from the Norse people. (laughs) <laughs> and the myth search, it's just like, boom, here's, here's life in the galaxy. Right. Go for it. And the, the other thing in terms of, you know, now moving into the body of the film and was handled deftly in the advertising is the cool and the fun and the joy of this movie. You know, the attitude portrayed in the trailers and in the commercials, you know, you're welcome. You know, we're going to do something good, something bad, a little bit of both, okay? And on this planet of Morag, to have Peter Quill set down uh, 26 years later, okay, basically he's a, a, a grave robber, you know, and he's dancing through the credits with the Walkman on, you know, <laughs> just that item, and we know they could have played it like, who is this guy? with the funny space mask and they went right for it and you you knew it was going to be him he puts on the the walkman and he dances around these geysers and it's awesome so we begin on this uh morag planet i guess planet mcguffin would have been too over the top and uh quill is there to uh, find this orb, which we later learn is one of the Infinity Stones. And this has been something that's been hotly anticipated by a lot of Marvel people for a long time. It was mentioned in that Thor uh, post-credit sequence where we first saw uh, Benicio Del Toro's Tan Lear Tivan, otherwise known as the Collector, who gets you know, far greater screen time, obviously, in this film. And uh, we'll talk more about those a little later on. But Peter doesn't know, or shall I say, the Star-Lord doesn't know what it is he's even there to steal. He's just there to steal something. And it turns out he's going to steal something that no one is supposed to know about and has ridiculous value. And... uh it's a scene that has been shown so many times by the previews and and i'll take slight umbrage i i feel like as is always the case of course Mm -hmm. but the previews for this movie showed you know the best two and a half minutes not that the rest is all junk it was just like the 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 high points of the movie were, were were you know in large part shown in the in the previews but something that was a nice new thing despite the fact that you had seen him take it in many a preview uh was kind of the you know, blue hover effect stuff. And I was like, oh, look, it's different, even though I know right. exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be like, Star-Lord, man, come on. Like, right. all the beats in that scene were, were known. They were just being fully expanded now for the film. But uh, it was still a new nonetheless. 
and the pop culture references, you know, he calls, uh, you know, so that's Jaime and Hansu's character. That's, um, uh, what was his character's name? Even. What's that? Morath? Not, uh, Korath. 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 Okay. And he's, uh, you know, who are you and all that. But, um, you know, Quill calls uh, his two henchmen Ninja Turtles. And, <laughs> you know, just just that throughout. You know, later on, of course, the the orb is referred to as having a real Ark of the Covenant Maltese Falcon thing going on, which, all right, if you're abducted, you know, in 1988, I don't know if you're going to be able to drop Maltese Falcon as a reference. I get Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> as a little kid, but again, small qualms, you know, but this pulls back to a much larger narrative now where we've got planets in peril. There's a tree, a tree speedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A tree speedy, a peace treaty between Xandar and the Cree, the blue, the (gasps) giant blue alien race of the Cree. Where have we seen one of them or Matt, half of one of them, before what that was on agents of shield man in the oh, uh in the the thing yeah actually um i think one of the uh actors spilled it was a cree <laughs> not long <laughs> after that it got put in uh got put in jail <laughs> that and, and am i remembering correctly that, that was it was like the, the tahiti tube right yes okay yeah yes. there you go i didn't want okay. people to think i'd forgotten that yes and all. and again that marvel synergy you know that we see that um, the 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 Cree character that we get first, Ronan, and we'll examine him at significant length in the um, the dossier, uh, is much larger than normal humanoid people. Much like half of that alien body was much larger than Agent Coulson, um, and it was obviously done with that intent. Um, so we knew that the narrative of last year's season of agents of shield would take us marginally into Thor, you know, they kind of danced around it directly into captain America, the winter soldier to the point of influencing the events of the show. And then, you know, planting the breadcrumb that gets confirmed now in this film, there is no doubt now as to the identity of that race but it opens up the larger how did it get there why is it in one one piece where's the rest of it what does this all mean well unless lest we forget of course agents of shield season one ended with you know what is only what can only be taken as this calling card to the stars you know not that not literally of course but the show clearly is looking looking upward into the night sky as Coulson kind of manically, uh, you know, puts that alien writing into the wall. So right. that's got to be where we assume we're headed. Definitely. Definitely. And if it's, if it's not Cree writing or, you know, Xandarian or any of the other uh, possible things between the, the other, um, places that come up this uh nowhere and and all the assembled uh races that are there i mean that's really our cantina scene in in this uh star warsian um motif if we're going to look at that uh but a vast canvas and you know again could have gone wrong in so many different points and while there 
is some exposition I think is going to be slightly cumbersome for the average person. Okay, getting caught up on the the Xandar and the Kree and everything there. Okay, by the end of this movie, you are fully invested in this narrative and in these five characters. Yeah, I think, I mean, for all of the politics that this introduces, you're never, ever unclear as to, as I said earlier, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and then the people that we're following are kind of like the people in the middle who, wink, wink, they're going to, you know, they're the Han Solos who are, you know, are they going to come back and save us? Yup. Yoo-hoo! Your shot's clear. Like, you know what you know that they're headed towards good guy they're just they're just kind of you know lovable rogues so it's tremendously clear um i mean you know through scripting through acting through lighting just through just story points who the good guys are and who the bad guys are well let's talk about our good guys this five person team all busted and broken beings we've got the Orphan boy in uh, Peter Quill. We've got the assassin with a heart of gold in Gamora. We've got the genetically altered raccoon that doesn't think it's a raccoon. We've got a talking tree and we've got a tattooed and tortured strongman who form a compelling, cute, but never in a cloying way and really funny uh quintuplet what's what's the what's the group of five here? yeah 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 quintuplet okay and it's great i mean chris pat chris pat um exceeded the the casting in every way shape and form i thought you know zoe saldana she is a bona fide um you know big budget actress at this point okay bradley cooper uh, could have mailed this one in that he went with an with an accent, okay? That he didn't play himself from the three Hangover movies, <laughs> all right? Uh, Groot for somebody that speaks all of four words in the movie, okay? That were recorded again and again and again. And I was reading the other day; he's recorded them in all these different languages <laughs> and, and everything like that. And I think too, and, James Gunn had given him a hundred, like you know, I am Groot dash dash. Here's what, it, you know, you are saying, I agree with the plan. You are saying, I'm upset with this. Just a hundred different ways. It's like, all right, actor, go make it happen. Right. And you know what? Vin Diesel gets a lot of crap. Okay. You know, car movies. And, you know, he's he's been in, uh, you know, three versions of essentially, well, three incarnations of, you know, a, an anti-hero. And... That's what Marvel's done with these movies is they've created cachet to these roles in a way that's never been done before. Beginning with Downey Jr. and Iron Man to the point that we've now got Glenn freaking close in this type of science fiction, totally risky property. And it works. And Dave Bautista, you know, we just have to mention as, as Drax, you know, just uh, the the final piece of the team there. Um, somebody that I went in, you know, not really knowing here, and you know, if not for Rocket and and Groot, maybe even steals the movie too. 
Well, and I mean, let's start with him. I don't know that you're going to be seeing Dave Bautista, you know, doing Hamlet on Broadway, but he, for whatever, Drax is more than a one note character, but whatever number, whatever notes Drax is required, Bautista plays all those notes perfectly. And again, I don't think it's as challenging a role as some of the others or whatnot, but like he did the job that was asked of him and hit it out of the park. Um, I just kept thinking every time he had a close up or even a medium shot waist up, what I hadn't understood from the previews um, until I finally saw him in on the big screen is it's not just kind of like that kind of tattoo marking on on him. Um, that's not just, I don't know, painted on there. Like that's, it's actually raised up. Yeah. So I'm oh, like, yeah. how much time did this guy spend? How many times was he up at three 30 to be in the makeup chair at 4 AM? So they could be putting on this, you know, tissue paper, glue, paint concoction. So he could be at the set at 8 AM and shoot for 12 hours and then have it peeled off him and then go take a shower and then sleep for four hours. Like, Obviously, he's a tough guy. His his wrestling background, et cetera, et cetera. This is probably you know sitting in the makeup chair is probably better than getting hit in the head with a makeup chair, uh, or, or you know a cage match or whatever. But it's just like sh- there's only so many big muscle guys who could handle doing Drax and sit through what must have been the prep for it, and, and he does it. He absolutely does. You know the 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 thing they do with all of these characters, they could have been so one note. It could have been, it's the talking raccoon, you know, and I've been telling anyone who will listen for two years, Guardians of the Galaxy, August 2014, it's going to be enormous. Rocket raccoon, man. Okay. And to have it come across in the way that it did. All right. um, Just really, really a success. They knew the tone that they wanted. You mentioned, you know, uh, bringing in the close-ups on uh, Drax. How about the individual hairs when they would close up yeah. on uh, Rocket? And how well it, the emotion in the face of a motion-captured raccoon. Or even, you know, we, we get to, uh, to Groot. Same thing. Yeah, I mean... To stick with Rocket and Bradley Cooper for a second, uh, let's start with Bradley Cooper. I think, with all due respect to the other to the other actors in the film, of which there are many, and the other actors in the film who appeared in the film, who got to act with more than just their voice, I think that Bradley Cooper gives the best performance. Now, you want to say Bradley Cooper plus the CGI team, you know, that gets back to the whole, you, you know. Um, uh, Gollum, you know, was Gollum actor driven or, or CG driven or both? So the Bradley Cooper Rocket CGI team together—that's the best performance there is. As you said earlier, the 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 panache the Bradley Cooper brings in—it's just stunning. Like he finds that character in there, and you can hear it in his voice. And I really think that it was. Well, I was going to say I think that that's what drove the character obviously they were doing cgi well in advance of bradley cooper coming in but it just comes together in such a big way where it's just a phenomenal performance that rocket has regardless of who's pushing buttons and who's rendering you know rendering pixels and who's 
you know, who's giving the voice. It's just stunning. Exactly. And, you know, to to take this movie where the five of them do, you know, from the assembly of the team and, you know, we, we gave credit to the promotional campaign before, you know, so much so that I'm watching the film and they get put in prison and it's just the four of them. You're like, where's Drax? I think I said it to you at one yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Like, wait, I've seen where uh, John Riley's uh, John C. Riley, Space Cop is like, and there's this one, and there's this one, and there's this one, okay? And Drax isn't there. And you're like, wait, am I in the right movie? Did, did, they, did they cut one of the Guardians of the Galaxy off? <laughs> What's going on? And then he's in the prison, and then we get the exposition then. And, and you know, for my qualms about where was he, perfectly introduced, and the humor, Matt, the humor, and the yeah. way they do it, you know? exposition the things you have to say in order to understand the action and okay so we're in this hard to break out of prison and they want to kill gamora because everybody in here has lost somebody to the to the bad guy she hangs out with and rocket's going to explain the plan and as he's explaining how they're going to break out groot is grabbing the one thing that they need and it gives us the necessary information at the same time we're being entertained. It's such a delicate line between, okay, you must shoot the proton torpedo in the exhaust point that for some reason was left uh, unprotected on the skin of the Death Star and not be taken out of the narrative. And here you're like, he, he's going to grab the thing that they need right now. They're, this is going to happen. <laughs> it's... That whole bit, you're right, to, to go back to, you know, John C. Riley encapsulating the, the five of them. I wonder if there's not another half hour of footage to this movie that when we get some sort of director's cut, it's going to be two and a half hours or two and three quarters. And they just brought it back to what it needed to be for, for a wide release. There, were de there definitely have been shots from the previews that, that, that didn't make it into the movie. And, and that's every movie, but... I mean, you're right, though. I, regardless of, hey, maybe they shot it one way where where uh, Drax gets brought in with the rest of them or something, something. It's better to do this slow rollout, particularly mm -hmm. because you do have... You have to introduce Rocket and Groot, you know, quickly, and then they seed all their, their interesting um, you know, backgrounds and what you do know and what you don't know and what's hinted at and what's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy 2 material. That all is kind of, kind of uh, you know introduced as the story goes on but yeah i think that slow rollout ending with drax that's that's definitely the way to go definitely you know and it all culminates in the breakout uh you know finding out again the exposition what is this MacGuffin, this uh infinity stone the background there okay and then this full-on Star Wars-esque finale of an air battle and a sword fight at the same time. Um, it just comes together in such a wonderful way that you, you're watching this. And, you know, we, we were in there with a, with a fairly full house. And uh, they applauded at the end, Matt. And, and you know how that upsets Spoiler Pete. Absolutely. You, uh, you always... Uh, more than under your breath, but not too loud. 
uh, say they can't hear you. They stopped they making the movie months ago. They, they made it months ago. <laughs> but by the way, just for the record, uh, I didn't say a blessed thing to any of the audience members. So you actually were the one speaking to audience members this time, not me. Yes. Um, speaking of audience members, by the way, I will mention that there were some what sounded to be fairly young kids uh, behind us and to the left where at a certain point it's like, it's Drax, it's Drax. Which I just thought was just this wonderful juxtaposition that these young kids found in Drax, the person that at least at that moment they they liked the most. And, and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's just because he probably has the saddest story out of them. So they just kind of immediately relate like, yeah, sometimes I'm really sad too when I when I don't get ice cream. And, you know, your, your <laughs> wife and daughter were killed and I'm, I'm sick, so I don't really understand layers of grief and whatnot so yeah i feel i feel bad for you the way people should feel bad for me with the whole ice cream thing so yeah you're my favorite um i just thought that was really cute yeah i mean they hit every note um i think speaking of notes we're gifted to an awesome lyrical soundtrack which is as we speak the number one album on itunes um thankfully i already own so many of these songs (laughs) Um, you know, I wanted a little bit more from the orchestral score, but that's okay. Um, given what we're, we're dealing with here, you know, Tyler Bates does, uh, yeoman's work. It's, it's not, uh, you know, the highest quality, but that's all right. Um, because it's weird enough of a property to not necessarily have to need that music to tell you how you're supposed to feel which I think is is a sin in a lot of these types of movies. Um, yeah. I, I think I wish there was just a little bit more there, there. I mean, when, when the music soared the most, it was kind of doing like the, Groot is beautiful and wonderful and mysterious. Right. We yes. need to really hammer that home. <laughs> Those were the lyrics to, to that, that particular cut. <laughs> <laughs> like other than that, it was just kind of like there wasn't much... I know it was your standard, you know, dun 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 dun. Yeah, action, action, you know. So whatever, it doesn't. Whatever, it doesn't need to be all Alan Silvestri, you know. And then the the one other complaint, not a complaint, you know, a, a minor qualm. Our end of credit scene, I really have to bill uh. as a missed opportunity. I know we differ greatly on this. Um, I'm going to say it for these reasons. They've done a phenomenal job over the last several years as they've continued to do this in this Marvel Cinematic Universe from Samuel Jackson, you know, uh, not being seen by other than three people film his cameo at the end of Iron Man um, through all the different scenes that we've had. They did not show this scene to the press when they screened it, okay? But, Matt, you knew about this scene weeks ago. Well, I knew about it, but I for, I had forgotten about it. Um, I think that to... Well, how about this, Pete? Why don't you tell us why you hated seeing Howard the Duck? You you build oh, up I didn't your... Hate, I didn't hate seeing Howard the Duck. I think you misunderstand, and I'll, I'll clarify. I love seeing Howard the Duck. I don't think you use that as your scene. I get it. It's a great tip of the hat. It establishes several things. 
Howard the Duck is in this Marvel universe. Howard the Duck was the first ever Marvel movie filmed when, Matt? And, and released when? Well, Howard the Duck was released uh, 28 years ago today on August 1st, 1986. Um, and yes, it was the first, uh, the first Marvel, um, the first Marvel character to make it to the movies. Asterisk: There was a Captain America serial in nineteen forty-four, which I don't think, in a in a broad sense, we would count as a Marvel comic book movie. In fact, I, I'll just click on Wikipedia here. I think it's one of those things where it's like, and they completely changed most of it, other than him punching. You know, yeah, it's. Grant District Attorney Grant Gardner, who's fighting the Scarab. That's your Captain America, nineteen forty-four. So this is the first Marvel movie in, in Howard the Duck. Um, I'll defend it more, but Pete, here's my question. I'll defend it more in a moment. I, but Pete, I, I just needed to, if I could just finish. Sure. Where it's a missed opportunity. Okay, you have Avengers: Age of Ultron in May. You have Ant Man next July. Okay, you now have one TV show up and running. You have another TV show, and it remains to be seen how how long Agent Carter is going to run. That's fine. Okay, and then you've got a quartet of shows coming on that on Netflix afterward. They've done such a great job of kicking the trajectory forward. Okay, I would have even been fine with them playing the Avengers Age of Ultron footage that was shown during San Diego Comic-Con this last weekend. I, I just think it was too cutesy and again, not capitalizing with the platform that they have there. These, these end of credit right. scenes have, have become a hallmark of... What is it? We got to, you know, from Thanos in, you know, at the end of Avengers to all the other things. And they do such a great job. They don't necessarily even set up the next movie. Okay. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier does not set up Guardians of the Galaxy. It sets up Avengers. Okay. This couldn't set up Ant-Man. Something. Couldn't couldn't set up uh Age of Ultron? I, I don't know. I, I just think, again, make use of it. I think that Marvel has, for longer than you think, been at a point where these scenes do what they need to do and don't do more. Uh, the first Captain America movie, what's the secret scene? It's a lousy preview for Avengers. It is not, you know, some sort of... I don't know. It's not it's its own independent scene. It's full on like next summer, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think of the, you know, as beloved as the shawarma scene is at the end of Avengers. Um, it's within that movie. Yes, the Thanos reveal. I, I will grant you the Thanos reveal is meant to propel you through Guardians of the Galaxy into Avengers 2, Avengers 3, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, so on and so forth. Um, the bottom line is this, I, I, with the exception of the Thor two secret scene, um, or, you know, the mid scene, whatever you want to call it, propelling to, uh, propelling to Guardians of the Galaxy, these scenes are just doing what they need to do. And I, 
it would have been shoehorned in. Uh, side note, Pete, where's your Ant-Man footage when you've now... Maybe they wanted to do Ant-Man. Problem is, uh, there's not a blessed moment of Ant-Man filmed yet. Um, well, here's she- the other thing. And, and we talked about this again, too. And we'll talk about it here. Okay. So Doctor Strange is going to be another one of the lesser known, more unusual uh, Marvel titles as they go through you know, their canon here. And they've still not cast that titular character and I think they were working furiously last weekend on Joaquin Phoenix, who seems to be the guy at this point, and with the hopes of, can we drop that in there? Can we turn something around really quick? Can yeah. we pull the shawarma scene and make a reveal there? And the, the other thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak to their credit here, you're talking about an end of credit scene that's got to play in that other side of the universe. So there's only so many connections to the existing stories that we have that you can make. Here's my final defense of, of including Howard the duck. I think it's more, it's more than just a cheeky little, you know, Hey, there's this thing. And I mean, literally as I was sitting there going, Oh my goodness, this is great. And you're like, I don't know. There's a guy in the front row going, giving the slow clap because to to paraphrase uh, somebody that we've seen star trek conventions because he got it here's why i think it's more than just a, a little cute thing the first marvel movie is on the list of some of the worst films ever made it also has helped make disney what it is today because howard the duck did so poorly and that was going to be the movie that was going to save lucasfilm uh, came out three years after uh, after Return of the Jedi. Uh, George Lucas had gotten divorced. He needed money, et cetera, et cetera. It, it was at risk of pulling Lucasfilm under. Lucasfilm was sinking under, and they needed to sell some assets. They turned their computer, uh, their computer um, uh, visualization division, or whatever they called it, sell it to Steve Jobs, who calls it Pixar. The rest is history. Fast forward to Pixar being bought by Disney. Now you have Marvel bought by Disney. Marvel with this new, better way. Like, they're never going to make a movie as bad as Howard the Duck. And I think that you almost need... That's that's like, you say, this is... You know, Howard the Duck is the, 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 the small one-room log cabin from which Marvel Film Studios comes from. And I think this is their way of saying... Kids, this is where I used to live, where there was a whole movie about this ridiculous character, and it was a child and a little person in an animatronic outfit and just awful lines. This Pete, this is a movie that I grew up. I, I loved Howard the Duck growing up. I go back and watch it now, and I can't make it through it because it's awful. It's awful. I can we, feel the evilness growing inside me. <laughs> you know, and it it's just quack food to the heart now. Uh, particularly, side note, as a kid, I didn't quite understand why Howard carried a little shell in his wallet. Um, spoiler alert, it wasn't a shell, it was a prophylactic, who knew? <laughs> um, but to me, it's such an important movie to Hollywood, to Disney, and to Marvel. Here's the opportunity where a space duck can be inserted. I loved it. I loved it. The dossier. Okay, so for a detailed look at our bad guys here, and again, not many of which we are familiar with, let's begin with the one closest to our main character, the character of Yondu 
Odonta, okay, played by Michael Rooker, okay. Great to see him uh, get a bigger stage after, uh, you know, spoiler alert, being killed off The Walking Dead a season. <gasps> what? <laughs> Pete, Merle. that thing that happened a year ago you just spoiled? Yeah. Space Merle. <laughs> Which is kind of what he was playing. He was. And and you know what? I was fine with it. Yeah. I was fine with it. You know, the 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 flourish of the 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 whistle uh spear that he's got, which I thought was kind of a cool thing. And um the the love hate relationship he has with the character that he saved from cannibalism and constantly has to remind of that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Michael Rooker worked with James Gunn before, back before both of them were, you know, were as famous as they are now. So standing by your guys and just playing, I don't know, he's probably the most ambivalent character that there is. He's both good guy and bad guy and um, just a ton of fun. And the the character design is awesome. The glowing mohawk is great. Um, The the whistle controlled arrow is from from the comics. Um, But it's just... He's just a ton of fun. And I love how, and this is probably just, I don't know, normal, make sense, makeup type stuff. I love that he has stubble and the stubble is blue as well. And I get that that's just the paint on his beard. But like, it was just this little added extra of like, yeah, of course he has blue skin, uh, blue skin and blue, you know, blue facial hair. Of course. Speaking of blue skin, our blue skin, big bad guy, Ronan, the accuser, this Cree fanatic who wants to see he's he's space Hitler. Yeah. He he wants to see the uh the filthy Xandarians uh wiped out to the point where he's going to touch this infinity stone to their planet and have all life extinguished. Well, here's where I'm gonna throw some some water on the fire. I did not like Lee Pace in this role. I felt like in a world, in a universe, in a galaxy, I guess that'd be the best way to put it, of of over the topidness, you know, two computer generated characters and green assassin lady and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, uh, uh what's his name playing um computer generated Thanos? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin in computer generated form. I felt like Lee Pace singularly was overacting the entire time. I think that you pluck any of us off the street and say, read this line. Any of us would be like, I shall destroy your whole planet. And you'd be like, oh, actually, that's not that good. That's the best I could do is guy off the street. But what's his what's his performance? I shall destroy the whole planet. They just, you know, uh, play, you know, uh, you know, use technology to make his voice sound a little bit more interesting. To me, it was just this over-the-top performance the entire time. And I felt that took away from the other cool things about the character, including the whole design and costuming and makeup and and all of that. I was just kind of distracted by Lee Pace's obvious acting. I'm going to defend that in the context, the larger context of this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do it. Matt, who was the bad guy in the most recent Marvel movie? Uh, that would be uh, Dr. Zola. Was he, though? Um, was he? We were the bad guy. The government was the okay. bad guy. Yep. Okay. And, you know, that was that is the darkest 
Marvel movie to date. You can't yeah. go there. You you need to lighten it. And the 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 little bit of camp that I think that is in this film, Ronan kind of buys into, particularly in the climactic scene where Peter Quill, as he, he's monologuing, begins to dance, which was awesome. <laughs> um Maybe it's just maybe I just don't personally like Lee Pace. I've seen about four episodes of his uh, AMC series Halt and Catch Fire, and the most annoying thing about that show is Lee Pace. And I just realized, like, after six weeks had gone by, I was like, oh, I forgot to keep watching that show, like, legitimately. So maybe maybe just me and Lee Pace aren't on the same uh, aren't on the same level. I don't know. Well, you know, for what he has to be, he did the job for me. Okay. If he's the Darth Vader in this film, though, there's an even bigger bad guy. There's Thanos, the the Mad Titan, as he's also referred to. We've seen him once before. We we didn't get dialogue at the end of uh, Avengers, so he was behind that the whole time. He's in on this uh, stone. We're going to learn more about him at some point. There's a whole backstory. Okay, but he is the Emperor. To Ronan's Darth Vader. He's the guy you really need to be scared about. And in Return of the Jedi, we'll find out about him. Ooh. <laughs> well, Pete, as I as I try and get a little background music here, there's one more bad guy, or should I say bad gal, who of course stole my heart as having having seen the actress and some other stuff. I am, of course, referring to Nebula, played by the uncomparably lovely Karen uh, Karen Gillan and just wow I mean it was tough seeing her in such an evil role but uh, wow I thought that she she lit up the screen the entire time Pete I was like I, I don't know I was just besmirched so so your thoughts Pete you love your redheads man um, you know we're gonna employ the the Star Wars thing because it works and I, I think greatly that was the template you know, if Thanos is the emperor and he's out there and we're going to get more of him, okay? Nebula, who gets away, she's Darth Maul, man. But she's a Darth Maul that, that didn't get killed. And the relationship between her, her surrogate sister Gamora, and their creepy, uh, obsessed with death, um, adoptive father in Thanos is going to be more fully explored at some point. I got to put my money on um, the third Avengers film, um, but we'll have to see. You know, we've we've got a, a second Guardians movie that already has a date uh, in 2017. But you know, she she did what she had to. Uh, she, she's got cool, uh, enhancements there. Reminded me a little bit of, uh, with the ticking and the whirring, a little bit of, um, Hellboy of the, uh, the, the German assassin who's oh, yes. kind of a wind up, uh, type of guy there. Um, particularly the way her, her face makeup was done and then the way that she could in a segmented fashion, you know, kind of snap herself back together, which was a cool effect. It really was, and of course, it's it's worth mentioning that uh, that 
you know the the great crime perpetrated against Karen Gillan was 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 done done for the, all the right reasons. She had to shave off those lovely red locks, and I thought that just the character design, the makeup, the fact that I mean, granted, I was like aware that she shaved her hair off, but I think that on some sort of semi-conscious, subconscious level, you you never saw a little you know miss. Uh, misapplication of the bald cap because there was none and it was just i mean just such an awesome looking character i I will say pete one little teensy tiny complaint about uh, about her i was kind of aware that she was a scottish woman doing an american accent because i felt like it was a lot of like you know it wasn't full-on scottish but it would be a lot of like ronan we're going to go do this and it's just kind of like the slight I don't know. It was like ninety percent American, but still ten percent Scottish. I thought. I don't know. What What are your thoughts as somebody who has not not soaked up her beauty by watching Doctor Who? I heard a little bit of a rasp, like it was an effect to the voice. Yes. Um. So wasn't as caught up in the accent as I was in the modulation. Fair enough. Well, I'm certainly uh, proud to have not made a, a blue box joke. And with that, let's move on. Time to analyze and theorize. So the big thing here, three infinity stones are known between the Tesseract, the Aether, and now this orb, which never gets a name. Um, There is the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, well known from the comics, which Thanos wields that has six infinity stones or gems, all of which has a property, space, time, mind control, etc. Okay. I got to think that Avengers 3 is going to see this all come together and that Thanos is going to be the big bad guy. Um, if not him, somebody like the Collector trying to, uh, like, Pokemon catch them all i think that it's not a big deal that this um this stone was not named i think the purple stone can we call it the purple stone sure the purple stone um i i think that it would be wise for the the upcoming mcu films to not spend a lot of time saying this is the infinity stone here's our power here's our its powers here is the i think it's just just to It'll be enough to say in the beginning of Avengers 2, 3, whatever, I guess, you know, whenever that finally comes to pass. I guess we're assuming Avengers 3, right, Pete? Yes. So I think by the time you get to Avengers 3, you can do what you did in the first Avengers, which is like, the Tesseract is a box of incredible power and it can also send us, open up gateways to the person on the other end of the gate. Boom. You just caught everybody up. The people who watch these movies casually, the people who don't know the comic mythos, the people who just discovered the MCU and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just there's what it is. You don't need to get into. And this one does this and this one does that. And it's all incredible. You need to pay attention and make sure that, you know, the gold one never does that. I just think it's going to be like, oh man, it's all in the glove. Now he has all the great powers of the universe to destroy everything. Okay. Got that. The glove with the shiny things, kill everybody. Got it. The gauntlet, uh, which has also been seen in the background of the first Thor movie in the armory on Asgard. 
So it is something that exists. It's going to come together. It's simply a question of when. And then the storytelling avenues that open up through uniting all those different stones. Um, we know that the Tesseract spear that Loki wielded in the Avengers is something that comes back around in Avengers Age of Ultron, which seems to be a more and more terrestrially set and not influenced by outer space film. Now, Pete, regarding the the gauntlet in Thor, uh, a couple of thoughts there. First of all, as I recall, it was like an Easter egg that yes. it took people a year to figure out. Yes. Um, so it, it's it's just barely seen there in mm-hmm. kind of, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of in the, whatever the lockup chamber spot is, you know, where they where they put the, the, um, the Tesseract early on right. in the film. I'm looking at a couple pictures here on Google. You could do a Google image search, Thor Gauntlet. Um, it seems to me that like, it seems to me that they have enough wiggle room to either completely ignore the fact that it's there for future movies, a la the Captain America uh, shield in the first Iron Man movie, where it's just like, it's just kind of there. And they're not going to be like, therefore, Tony Stark found Captain America and the shield. It's just like, it's just kind of there. It's a cute little thing. They could either completely ignore well, the it. Way or be I like, choose to, the way I choose to look at that is, you know, Howard Stark made, a, made another copy you know, the shield was with Steve Rogers in the ice. Uh-huh. The knockoff shield was tinkered around with by dad and was in another pile. I mean, that's the way I choose to look at it. Do you think that it could just be the gauntlet without stuff in it? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, if it they choose it doesn't to... have the it doesn't have the stones in it. Right. Or three stones are in it and these other three are floating around, you know, any way you, you choose to go at it, that's where this is going. It's simply a question to theorize, like we do here, uh, how that's going to happen and when it's going to happen, what it's coming. That it is. That it is, uh, particularly with the, uh, the announcement of James Brolin, who, it's funny, I thought that, I know he did performance capture for Guardians of the Galaxy, and I kept thinking, wow, this looks like a good... This looks like the Thanos face driven by James Brolin's face, if you will. You know, I'm sure we've all seen the motion capture dots that they were and all that. But then you think back to how Thanos looked at the end of Avengers. It's still kind of the same look. So now I'm like, man, Josh Brolin, if you just kind of extend his face in a Thanos direction, Josh Brolin looks a lot like Thanos almost. It's it's, it's this weird, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Chicken or the egg, yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, the the collector, I think, could, you know, I said said that before, could be involved in this, given that, you know, he whispered to his uh, his assistant there, you know, that he knows where two of them are. And, you know, now we know where three of them are, um, one being on Xandar, one being on Asgard. And the other one was in his collection. As of the end of that movie, of course, everything got blown up and him and Howard the Duck are having a drink. <laughs> um, the other thing that I think we can really delve into is th- the great choice. Ordinarily, you would say in an origin story, you know, Tony Stark, tell us about who his parents were, yada, yada, yada. 
the fact that with Peter Quill, and and we're told in the first couple of lines of dialogue when Mom says, you know, your your father was a being of pure light. Okay, we don't know his dad. Okay, um, we don't know if Groot is you know the only remainder of his uh, his race, the way that the collector wanted to purchase his his skeleton upon his death, and then Rocket with this sympathetic. I've never felt more sympathetic, you know, for a a CGI animal in my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Been altered and sliced and diced and reassembled. Um, their origins are still largely unexplored and can really be a part of that next movie in July of 2017. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, the height of Marvel knowing what it's doing, saying we know how to make a good movie and we can plan for number two. We don't need to answer every last question about everything in number one. Let's introduce the universe and these characters and their place in it by way of fighting a compelling and interesting bad guy who's overacted. Um, let's do all that and then let's save, get to meet with dad. I mean, that's the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, by the way. Hey, there was your dad, and we threw him overboard, but I guess he's whatever out there. We're not going to talk about that. Boom, second movie. Let's make it about dad. Um, so on and so forth. I, I, I think that it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's great to leave that movie with questions. I think, side note, speaking of one question that was answered, it's great that they... They got to have their cake and eat it, too, in that they killed off Groot, and you had this moment of like, oh, wow... And, yeah. and particularly for Rocket, um, and then to be like, oh, he has it in a pot. Okay, well, that's kind of, is that sad? Is that pathetic? Like, you know, within the, <laughs> within the, within the, the, the narrative, I think you could reasonably be like, that's how they'll bring him back. But, you know, willful suspension of disbelief. Uh, it's kind of like, he doesn't get it that it's over. And then boom, it's, he's starting to come back. And then to have that, the dancing bit, you know, just really tells you, and he'll be back. It's a rare time that you get to have, as I said, your cake uh, and eat it too. So, the, your thoughts, Peach? Uh, deftly handled with the sequence where Drax is sitting and, you know, Baby Groot is dancing. And um, I'll throw out yet another million dollar idea that, you know, you can throw me a check for. If someone has not already made for this Christmas season, a dancing Groot tree pot that when you turn on music wiggles back and forth. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well done, Pete. Well done. The one other um, level seven thing I just think bears mentioning is seeing new Avengers injected with Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch who makes it out of this next movie Who's to say? Okay. We have a third Avengers scheduled. We have a third Captain America scheduled. Rumors about a, a third Thor, still nothing definite. A second Guardians movie. They're going to come together. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see a Hulk and a Rocket interact. I know that there have been many, you know, there was like, there have been many articles in the last couple of days like 
here's why it might happen. Like coming from, you know, entertainment writers and whatnot. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Of course this is their plan. I mean, of, of course they would combine them if if the story warrants and whatnot. Um, furthermore, I think that if you are a Robert Downey Jr. or a Chris Hemsworth, because Hemsworth is the number two, apparently has made the second most amount of money uh, f- from all these Marvel movies. Um, if you're one of those guys... And Marvel's just like, nope, we don't want to pay you big bucks anymore. And if you want to leave, see ya. The Guardians of the Galaxy joining the Avengers for Avengers 4 or 5. Look, I'm not saying Robert Downey Jr. is replaceable in any way. But as I've said many, many times before, he's the Sean Connery James Bond, who is always going to be the best and be unparalleled. But at a certain point, you're going to move on. And you're going to remember the good old days. And when you have... When you have, I don't know, Captain America and Lady Thor and uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, like When you have all these people in an Avengers movie along with the Guardians of the Galaxy people, you're going to walk out of there going, yeah, it would have been cool if they had Iron Man, you know, if they had Robert Downey Jr. instead of uh, Iron Patriot, whatever. But hey, it was still an awesome movie. Don't you love this? Don't you love that? You know, all, all things had to end. Um so I guess one way of looking at it is the Guardians of the Galaxy spelled doom for the original Avengers. <laughs> so, says I, anyway. Anything else you have for level seven, Pete? Nope. Then, uh, with that, Pete, how can people get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on the Twitter uh, at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-E. L A A R 3,945 followers can't be wrong. That is awesome. I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost. You can share feedback for the podcast by tweeting, emailing, and visiting the dot com of Fantastic Geek. That is Fantastic with a PH. Pete, I guess with that, the next time the Agents of Shield podcast feed lights up, maybe we'll do some sort of, um, I don't know. Marvel movie summer roundup thing in a couple weeks and then before you know it we're going to be uh, previewing season 2 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Absolutely. So with that I will say namaste to all our listeners and Pete give you the final word. There ain't no thing like me except me. Sometimes we forget that though VJ Day occurred over a year ago, the fighting isn't over for a lot of people. The year is 1946, and peace has dealt Peggy Carter a serious blow. 
She finds herself marginalized when the men return home from fighting in WW2. Working for the covert strategic scientific reserve, Peggy must balance her job as a helpful secretary while going on secret missions for Mr. Moneybags himself, Howard Stark. All this while trying to navigate life in these United States as a single woman. In January 2015, we will be covering this and more on the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. Set your internet radio dial to fantasticgeek.com. That's fantastic with a PH. Just as good, don't be a fuddy-duddy. Subscribe via the iTunes. And while you're at it, don't stop there. Give us the hidey-ho on Twitter. We're Fantastic Geek there, too. In fact, we're just doll dizzy about that dame Peggy Carter and think you'll be, too. The Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. The choice of hepcats and dandy dames alike. <laughs> <laughs>